Welcome to the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit, a series of 15 podcasts that present different aspects of a vegan lifestyle from some of the most prominent thought leaders in veganism. Perhaps you want to learn how to be a better advocate for animals. Maybe you want to feel confident about raising your family on a plant-based diet. Proudly sponsored by VegFund, the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit's for you. Hello and welcome to the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit. I'm your host, Emma Leticia. And in this episode, we're talking to filmmaker, activist, and co-founder and director of Plant Based News, Robbie Lockie. Robbie started his career in digital design in 1999 in Zimbabwe. Then in the year 2000, he moved to the United Kingdom to further his career as a designer. During his career, he worked on a number of high-profile projects and brands such as BMW UK, Mercedes-Benz, Beats by Dre, Shell International, and Microsoft, just to name a few. He's also worked for large multinationals including Bloomberg, New Energy Finance, Jamie Oliver, and Getty Images. Robbie is a keen digital campaigner focusing on skills to engage large groups of people on social issues. And we're going to talk to Robbie about his journey to ethical veganism and the work he does through plant-based news to encourage and promote a vegan world. Hi, Robbie. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Emma. Welcome to be. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Usually you're on the other side of the interviewing on the podcast. So <laughs> Yes, I'm the one welcoming people. You see. Yeah. yeah, cool. So just to get started, let's talk a little bit about your journey to veganism. I know that you grew up in Zimbabwe on a farm, so there must have been a lot of animals around, but it wasn't until you moved over to the UK and you were in your 20s that you began to explore veganism for health reasons. So can you tell us a little bit about what you learned and how it affected you? Absolutely. So I, growing up on a farm in Zimbabwe, I was surrounded by cows and chickens and all kinds of animals. And I always loved animals. I had companion animals at home, cats, dogs, mice, rats, and even, you know, a chicken as well, which was, a, you know, a joy because they're really, really clever and smart creatures. But I never really ever thought about not eating them. This is mainly because of the fact that I wasn't surrounded by anyone else who didn't eat meat. There was vegetarians and vegans in the, um, in the media, but I'd never actually seen a vegetarian or spoken to a vegetarian in person. I didn't even know what a vegan was growing up, to be honest. So I was never sort of influenced by those kinds of people. So I just, yeah, I just don't think it kind of came into my, into my sphere of, uh, of knowing. And then oh, as I sort of got into my twenties, I started experiencing a lot of health problems, joint problems, bloating, skin problems, aches and pains. And I spent many years trying to find the solution. I saw many doctors and no one could help me and advise me what was wrong with me. And I discovered a selection of films on Netflix, like Food Inc., Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead by Joe Cross, Forks Over Knives. And these films really like expanded my knowledge when it came to plant-based nutrition, what is how to eat and what to eat and the effect it has on our bodies, but also the effect it has on the environment as well. So I was quite shocked when I watched Food Inc. to see how agriculture actually damages our world. And I really began to sort of explore this idea. I decided to do Jason Vale's seven-day juice fast because I'd heard that a, a more alkaline diet could be better for health. And so I did a seven-day juice fast. I took five different juices every day, which I'd made at home myself. When I bought all the fruits and vegetables at the supermarket, I remember the lady at the shopping checkout thinking, what the hell are you doing with all these fruits and vegetables? I had like 20 <laughs> pineapples and like 100 apples. And it was just incredible how so much stuff could be 
you know, squashed down into so few meals. But anyway, I did these five juices a day and I drank them and I actually wasn't hungry. I felt really, really good. And at the end of the whole process, I went to a friend's birthday at a local pub and I ordered a giant, juicy, greasy beef burger. And halfway through the beef burger, I put it down and I thought, this is disgusting. I cannot eat this. And that was sort of the beginning of my me falling out of love with meat, I think. In the weeks that followed, I was given the opportunity watch the film Earthlings, which was an incredible film. I mean, I sat down after watching that film and sort of looked around in horror wondering why I hadn't picked this up before. Why hadn't I noticed or understood this before? Like I knew animals were killed and I knew that we, you know, butcher animals for food, but I never really thought about it the way the film explains it. And the script is so skillfully written that I believe that it really unlocks part of you that is kind of dormant. It, li- it unlocks parts of people that, li- that lies dormant. They're compassionate centers of what I think are 99% of humanity. And just funny enough, a few hours later after watching the film, there was a, a screech and a crash outside my house. I ran outside and just a few paces up the road was my neighbor in her big people carrier with all her children in it. And I ran over to her um, and said, what's going on? And she was crying and the children were screaming. And I looked back and there was the n- other neighbor's beautiful white Persian cat flapping around on the tarmac outside our house in this huge pool of ruby red blood. And I looked down and, she, you know, the cat was, she was obviously suffering. And people always say, you know, if an animal is suffering, you should take its life, you should end its life. And I, I literally, I held her and I couldn't do it. I could not like, you know, break her neck or whatever it is that you were supposed mm-hmm. to do. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And, you know, she looked at me and I looked at her and I know in many ways I saw, you know, she has hair like mine. She has eyes like mine. She has blood like mine. She has teeth like mine. Obviously, it's a slightly different shape. But, you know, there's so many similarities between me and this beautiful animal. And in, in, I had a bit of a, you could say, a spiritual moment where I traded places with the animal and I felt her fear and the life slipping from her body. And in that moment, I realized, you know, if I can't take the life of an animal, why should I take, why should I pay someone else to do that for me? Um, well, well, even you were contemplating taking the life of an animal to end her suffering and you couldn't do that. I think that's pretty interesting to note, isn't it? Absolutely. And in that moment, I became a vegan and I I kind of vowed that for the rest of my life, I would spread the message of veganism and share with others what I had discovered. So the health benefits of a plant-based diet were what initially drew you into veganism and you slowly went further down the rabbit hole, as we like to say from there. But you've also been interested in spirituality and the spiritual nature of things. Can you describe for us how you saw veganism intersecting with spiritual principles and how this has shaped your ideas on the ethical nature of veganism? So... I was uh, born Christian and uh, grew up in the Presbyterian Church. And so, you know, compassion and kindness is allegedly the cornerstone of the Christian faith. But this kind of topics and, and kind of compassion towards animals is never really discussed. In my early 20s, I became a Buddhist and became part of a, an international lay Buddhist movement called the SGI. And again, compassion and kindness are the cornerstone of this belief system. But no one talked about animals or their place in this world or, or the kindness that we, that we should really afford them. And I became increasingly frustrated once I became vegan about how little it was discussed. So while we were going out talking, and you could say preaching, about the power of compassion, 
kindness and nonviolence. We were sitting down to a meal of violence three times a day with, you know, a dismembered animal parts on our plates. And that reinforced and further pushed me further towards veganism because it made me realize that, you know, this, this imperative to treat all living beings with respect and kindness was essential if we want to see a kinder, healthier, more environmentally friendly world. And I just think that compassion is hardwired into all human beings, but it, it get, we have to unlearn it as children. We kind of, it's beaten out of us because our society teaches us that compassion and kindness and gentleness and sensitivity are a kind of weakness that, you know, it's something that is, that, you know, women do and that women are not as strong as men and men need to be strong and, and kindness and compassion is not strength and men need to eat meat and be strong, right? And this, I just realized what a twisted upside down society that, that we uh, found myself in. And I think that it's an essential part of being a compassionate spiritual person is to, is ahimsa, which is the word, the Sanskrit word of nonviolence, uh, practicing the process of nonviolence. And I just couldn't understand why so many people in my Buddhist movement or the faith or the people that I associated with still ate meat and still refuse to acknowledge the fact that sentient beings suffer deeply and unnecessarily for our culinary delights, really. And it was a real awakening for me. Let's move on from that and talk more about your work and using your talents and passions. So you spent the past 20 years working in media and communications, and that started up when you moved over to the UK. Your career started. And I know that media and communications, that's your passion. So you now work on plant-based news, but you've also worked to help promote a number of other ethical companies. I remember a couple of years ago, the short film that you produced with Beaver, which was really, what's the word I'm looking for? It was really inspiring and eye-opening in terms of connecting the dots between factory farming and the outbreak of dangerous diseases and things. I've spoken with quite a few entrepreneurs over the years who described a kind of burnout from working with companies they didn't believe in. So what I guess I, I'm interested in is, did you ever have a moment like this working with you know, some of the other corporate companies? And at what point did you start thinking about using your skills in media and communication to help promote veganism? Oh, I can tell you the exact moment. So I worked in an agency, an advertising agency in East London, and I was sitting at a table with a collection of people from Coca-Cola, corporate types, suit types, and they were kind of getting frustrated by the lack of sales on Dr. Pepper, Fanta and Sprite. And the guy kind of like banged his fist on the table and he's like, we've got to get the kids drinking more of this stuff if we want to make a profit. And I sort of sat there and I what the actual hell am I doing? Like, I, this is not why I got into design. This is not why I got into advertising and media. And I realized that, that you know, this was my, the bitter, the bitter end for me. Just, you know, just by pure chance, I actually ended up not staying at that company. I was actually let go because I was just too, maybe I was too cocky. Maybe I was too, uh, I wouldn't take no for as an answer. I would always like to do things my way. And I didn't survive my probation. And they actually said to me, you're a great designer. You're very good at what you do, Robbie, but we just want a yes man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not that person. And just, I kind of, you know, almost gave up on my career and my job as a designer, but a job at Jamie Oliver came up a few months later and I went, applied for the job. I really never thought I was going to get it. And I got the job and uh, I worked for Jamie for a good couple of years 
And he really inspired me to get involved in activism and advocacy because, you know, he was very passionate about like food, food matters and, you know, school dinners and all that kind of stuff. And I traveled with the company to a place in Italy that helps and rehabilitates people with severe drug addiction. And as I was leaving that place, I realized, you know, I could use my skills to make the world a better place. I could use my graphic design skills, my digital skills, my social media skills to make the world a better place. And I set up Loverita Studios and Loverita means the truth. And the idea with Loverita Studios was to sort of illuminate and highlight the work of sustainable, ethical and conscious brands. And I ran that for a good few years where I kind of made and created digital content and products and services, videos for a variety of, of brands, including Viva, where I made the film Swine with my good friend Damien Evolution. And it was an incredible opportunity. And I worked on uh, Love 146, which is an anti-child sex slavery campaign. I worked on Move Your Money, which was an ethical banking platform, trying to encourage people to move their money to a more ethical bank. And we, moved, we got a million people to move their money away from the likes of Barclays, um, which was incredible. And then obviously, um, then a few years later, I met Klaus, Klaus Mitchell, who I run Palm Base News with at Vegan Futures, which is a, a vegan event here in London. And we got on and we met, we decided to sort of like work together. Class asked me to support him and encourage our audience growth in our, in our, in our now audience. And, uh, and then that's where we are today, really. Three and a half years later, we're probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest vegan media platform in the world. Yeah. And the growth has been like phenomenal in that because I remember plant-based news before Robbie (laughs) and then when you came on it's like it's kind of been like the dream team because everything has just kind of accelerated from there what would you say has been the key to your success in this endeavor together the key to our success I think is good people we have a very small team but we have some very dedicated people behind us so the success of it is a team of people who trust my direction and I trust their creativity. I don't micromanage people. I believe that if you want to run a successful company or, or a fantastic platform, you need to hire people that are better at you than what you do. Take them on, trust them, give them responsibility and let them get on with it. And don't micromanage people. Don't stand over people. People are going to make mistakes. Things are going to go wrong. But ultimately, I feel like if I give people autonomy, they feel they have a personal investment in what they're doing and they're not just it's not just a job to them but also consistency is a vital part to grow a platform we consistently put out content every single day at the same level across everything from instagram to facebook we consistently put out articles every day we consistently put out stuff on social media so social media networks reward you for consistency that is ultimately what they want from you they want you to put out regular content that your audience likes and engages with and then they reward you in turn by showing your content to more people. It's a real like doggy dog world because social media is, is a rapidly changing landscape. We're all at the mercy of these algorithms who are constantly kind of battering us. You know, one minute we'll be earning 4,000 organic likes a week on Instagram and the next minute we'll be earning nothing. It'll actually go into negative numbers. Mm. So it can be a bit of a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. And it, social media is crazy like that, isn't it? Because you have to constantly be on your toes and have... I'm using all of these and have your finger on the pulse 
you know, keeping up with these algorithm changes and figuring out what the social media channels like. But it, mm. it's kind of exciting because communication technology seems to have made so many things more possible. And a lot of people have said that social media has been one of the most important tools to getting veganism going towards mainstream. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Social media is the most important tool in our toolkit as vegan advocates because it has it gives us the power to reach one person and it gives us the power to reach a hundred million people. Like there's really no limit to how many people you can reach. Obviously, it, you know, if people are on the internet, you can reach them. And I think it's allowed us to expose the horrific abuse and misuse of animals in specifically factory farms before this whole industry was completely shrouded by you know walls of darkness you could say because the cameras weren't able to get in there now we have undercover people working the world over we have vegan advocates breaking into farms and taking animals to highlight the abuse we have vegan advocates doing direct action in in all the major city centers we have vegan media companies we have vegan brands and products and they all use social media to amplify their message. So without social media, the modern kind of second wave, you could say, of the vegan community movement wouldn't exist at all. Mm. So with all of that in mind, where do you see plant-based news going in the next few years? I know that's kind of a tricky question because you're going to have to adapt your strategy to whatever social media throws your way. Do you have any personal projects related to veganism that you're also working on as well? I have a few things actually which I haven't sort of announced yet. One is I'm working on a book with a friend of mine, kind of like the ultimate guide type book. So I'm quite excited about that. And that's kind of like food and lifestyle things. What else am I working on? Obviously, there's World Plant Milk Day, which is a campaign I founded in 2017 to encourage people to go dairy free for seven days and hopefully for the rest of their lives. And then also it's just sort of like filmmaking. I plan to, to release a series of documentary type pieces of content over the next few months with Viva and a few of the other animal rights organizations. And that's it really. There's very few hours in the day where I actually get to do things of my own. <laughs> I'm hoping as I grow and develop plant-based news, I'll have a little more time to work on these, these side projects. Yeah, I was going to say, you sound extremely busy and a lot of you know people working in the vegan industry suffer from burnout. What are you doing to look after yourself? Well, unfortunately, at least last year, I did burn out and suffered like major lower back and, and hip problems, sleep trouble, you know, and that's because I just wasn't resting enough. I wasn't giving myself enough time to recuperate and I wasn't switching off. I think the most important thing people can do is switch off regularly. And that means put your phone off. Don't put it near your bed. Disconnect. Go for a walk. Go for a swim. Exercise at least 30 minutes a day. So I'm doing these kinds of things now and I feel so much better trying to and not be available 24-7 because I think this is the trouble. We, we become overstimulated and oversaturated with messages and emails and texts and notifications. You know, and our brains are not evolved for this. You know, mm. Social media is the alien piece of technology in our primordial physiology, which really hasn't changed that much in the last 200,000 years. You know, it can't cope. And this is why we're seeing astronomical increases of like mental health problems, specifically in young people, because... Mm. These tools, as powerful as they are and as incredible as they are for the vegan movement, they are actually causing, as far as I am I'm concerned, a lot of problems in human society. You know, they're very, they, they create a lot of divisive behavior and 
they kind of it's open season for trolls and bullies so it can be a very difficult tool but I think the best thing I could say to people is just unplug switch off at least once a week if you can and in the evenings before you go to bed you know try and unplug from social media and technology for at least an hour before you sleep it's essential yeah that's really great advice and I know I need that too and we have a small animal sanctuary and sometimes just going and hanging out with my pigs it kind of brings everything back into perspective and it's a nice way to kind of be in nature and yeah as I say put things back into perspective when everything feels a bit crazy yeah yeah what else I wanted to talk to you about because um I really love listening to the plant-based news podcast I was listening to your one with Miyoko Shinna is that how you say her name Um, yes yeah the vegan uh the queen of vegan cheese and at one point you discussed the idea of setting up a fund or some kind of organization to help animal farmers transition to plant-based farming that's something also that i had a discussion with robert grillo from free from harm he's doing some work with rowdy girl sanctuary i was wondering if you had any other thoughts on this or you've heard of anyone else trying to get it going because it would be so cool to have an organization that works on a global scale to support farmers in this in this transition no this is something i've been thinking about since i went vegan actually because i'm a pragmatic i'm an ethical but pragmatic vegan i know that we need to be focused on solutions it's all very well people picketing farmers or standing outside dairy farmers screaming meat is murder or dairy is rape you know, people do that, but it's not solving the problem. You know, these people, we don't want to put these people out of jobs. What we want to do is give them different jobs. There are so many situations in the US today where chicken farmers, for example, who have huge sheds, which are usually packed to the rafters with chickens, are now growing hemp and they are making way more money and they are happier, healthier people because they've managed to ditch animal agriculture and convert their farms into plant-based ones. So it is possible and it can be done. I'm really keen to get involved with something like this. If anyone's listening who's got any ideas or or wants uh, some support, I really want to get involved. I actually have a few ideas and things I want to kind of kick off in the next few years and I think it might take some time. I think if we can create a dedicated organization for doing this that empowers and also perhaps supports farmers to make this change, I think we'll see a real quickening of a shift away from animal agriculture. Mm. Yeah, I know. Because we live in a very animal agriculture strong area in the southwest of France. And, you know, these people have been farming animals for generations. It's not something like they've kind of been brought up in it they don't know any other way of living but it's not easy being an animal farmer you know there's the psychological aspects to it the physical work the you know it's all of those things and I think lots of people don't like to talk about it but there are spiritual aspects to that as well you know as you say people do have compassion at the heart of them it's just kind of trained out of them and for us to to support these people and not have it as an us and them situation, I think would be a lot more, you know, it would work better in helping us to provide a solution moving forward. So if anyone's listening and they have some ideas or funds behind them, please get in touch with Robbie. I know that I will definitely be supporting you on that project as well, Robbie. 
And because I, I know that you usually end your plant-based news podcast this way with your guests, I thought it could be fun to <laughs> turn the tables on you. If you were stuck on a deserted island, what's the one vegan meal or food item that you'd have with you for the time you were stranded there and why? I probably would be a Buddha bowl with rice, beans, tofu, broccoli, uh, some tahini over the top. That's kind of what I live on most of the time. It's got everything you need. It's very easy to make and it's delicious. And I could probably eat that for the rest of my days on my desert island. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be a healthy vegan as well. I would, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Robbie, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and for all the work you're doing to help promote a vegan world. And I'm even more, I feel even more privileged to have been speaking to you now that we have an understanding of how busy you are. <laughs> oh my pleasure I'm happy to be happy to chat cool if you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to learn more about Robbie's work at Plant Based News please click on the link to his bio in today's email you'll find details of the Plant Based News website as well as the podcast YouTube and social media channels as well Thank you for listening and being part of the One Bite Vegan Summit. Be sure to keep up to date with the latest One Bite Vegan online events and free resources, including the One Bite Vegan blog and digital magazine by connecting with us via our website, onebitevegan.com. Remember, one bite is all it takes to make a change.